Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I have nothing to say to these people, but you do, Lord. This is your time, your space. Use me to speak your words, and may we see what a beautiful picture of an amazing God you are this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. How many of you glow in the dark? Ha <laughs> <laughs> I see a few people. Nice. I titled this sermon, Glow in the Dark Christians. And I hope by the end of this, all of you will want to glow in the dark. Because it is an interesting thing when we think about the great mystery Christ in us. What does that mean for him to actually be in us? Um, I've really pondered this question. And, and more importantly, um, if Christ is in us, how are we to be found in him? This is kind of an interesting thing that I hope to unpack for you this morning. Um, anybody feel weird? Anyone? I know I kind of like to ask a few questions, right? I feel weird sometimes. Listen to this. A real Christian is an oddity. He feels a supreme love for one who he's never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits that he's wrong so that he can be declared right, goes down in order to go up, is strong when he's the weakest, richest when he's the poorest, happiest when he feels the worst. He dies so that he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so that he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. Brothers and sisters, if you feel weird this morning, great! Because we aren't understood by the world. And I'll tell you, when I was flying into um, the airport, I called my wife as soon as I landed. And, and um, I got there really early in the morning, so I rented a car, and I ended up driving through um, where I lived in Hollywood. And I went by one of my apartments, and I just kind of sat there, and I just stared at it. And I just went, like, I, ca I can't believe that I'm in this different space, and that at one point in my life, I was so different, so different. And I was sitting there thinking, like, Wow, God, what an amazing God you are, because uh, I now live in Chattanooga, where if you go 10 miles outside of the city, people don't really speak English. It's hard to understand them. I'm born and raised in California, but I absolutely love the country, and my heart is in such a different space. I recently had someone call our ministry um, a couple of weeks ago, and he was a new evangelical uh, or coming out of the evangelical world into Adventism, and he had seen something that we had created, and he wanted to just ask some questions. And he said, Scott, what's the end goal? And I said, what do you mean, what's the end goal? Well, well what, do you, what is it that God is getting at? What is the end goal of this Christianity? And I'll tell you what, I really sat down and I, and I pondered it, and I said, do we really know what the end goal is that God wants for you and me? A mystery, something that's hard to understand. Christ in us. That is a mystery. That is the end goal. What is the reason of being a Christian if there's no real change, right? If you don't have a real, true heart change, what's the point of this? 
And so that's kind of one thing that I really want to unpack. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that knoweth spiritual, um, he that is spiritual judgeth all things, and he himself is judgeth of no man. For who hath known the man of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, when Paul wrote this, it was a bit of an oddity in his day even to understand what is this thing about Christianity. You see, to the Greeks and the Romans, the ego was the biggest thing that they could wrap their head around. It was all about the self. It was all about how I could exalt myself. And here comes this thing called Christianity that, that comes along and says, you know what? It's not about me. I need to die so that someone else can be glorified. And they didn't understand that. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If this is the hope that we all share as Christians, to have Christ in us, it is an amazing thing when you read a text like this and you say, you know what, the real, really only reason that you even understand some of these things is because God has revealed it to you. In fact, he says in Luke 10, 22, all things were delivered to me, my father, and no man knoweth the son, who the son is, but the father, and who the father is, but the son, to whom the son will reveal it. The only way that you possibly have any kind of understanding about Jesus, literally, is because Jesus has revealed it to you. And the Holy Spirit has revealed it to you. That's the only reason that we even understand all of this. And I want you to ponder a couple things as we go over a couple of these verses. All things were given to Jesus. All things. Everything. And when you read these verses, like Colossians 1.19, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all the fullness dwell. All, everything was given to Jesus. John 3, 35 through 36 says, The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand, that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. Um, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Everything is given to Jesus. So if all of these things are given to Jesus... And you have Jesus in you. What does that mean for you? You see, when you kind of follow this, Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If all these things are given to Jesus, and literally we are called to have Jesus abiding in us, you now have access to all the blessings that were given to him. This, this is what it means to have Christ in us. Listen to what Desire of Ages says. All things Christ received from God, but he took to give. So in the heavenly courts, in his ministry for all created beings, 
through the beloved son, the father's life flows out to all. Through the son, it returns and in praise and joyous service, a a tide of love to the great service of all. And thus through Christ, the circuit of beneficence is complete, representing the character of the great giver, the law of life. What a beautiful thing. God gave literally everything to Jesus, but literally gave it to him so that he could give it to you. It's the great law of the giving God that we all serve. And I think it's a beautiful way to look at things. I'm, I'm fascinated by biology. I'm fascinated by the world. And I'm, I'm always um, um, really shocked at how many truths there are in the simple little things. Like a bee needs to work with a flower to be able to take its pollen, to spread it around. There's this symbiotic relationship with all of God's creation. The trees that pull down the, um, the carbon dioxide and, and, and give you oxygen to be able to, to breathe. Um, so there's this symbiotic relationship between all of God's creation because that's just the way that all of this works. Colossians 2, 8 through 10 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You know, when we feel kind of broken and we feel incomplete and we feel like there's just things that are, that are gone awry in our lives, I think it's beautiful that The Bible tells us, listen, you have the opportunity to be complete in him, in Christ. That's what I believe is this all about. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And if all this power was given to Christ... What was his mission? I have this kind of ongoing conversation with the media and and different stories that um, kind of take Christian parallels and uh, Superman being one of them. And and there's a lot of young people that always come and say, ah, yes, but I like this particular story because it's telling the story of Christ or whatever the particular film is. And I always ask the question, yes, but what was the mission of Christ? What was he actually here for? What was his purpose? His purpose was to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring about everlasting righteousness. That was his purpose. Yes, to save us. Yes, there's something that's coming, uh, that's trying to destroy us. But his purpose really is to bring reconciliation of the iniquity that we all have gotten ourselves into. Now, I don't see that in in the storyline, so it's it's not possible for me to draw a parallel in that way. And so, if all power was given to Christ, and this is his mission to make that reconciliation, and Matthew one twenty one says, Jesus shall bring forth a son, and, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is the mission of why Jesus came down here. You have access to all of that. All power under heaven, which was given to the Son, now all we have to do 
is invite him in. That's literally what we need to do. I, I wanted to talk about this because I've had a half of an eye on pop culture a lot recently. And I see something that's coming out in Hollywood movies or even the music industry. Maybe perhaps some of you have seen this. But in the olden days, there was this thing that was known as possession. And when possession was talked about, it was always talked about as, as, as an evil spirit that was possessing you as a negative or a bad thing. I'm starting to see them talk about it in a positive light. If you've seen trailers for like the new superhero movie called Venom, that he's completely possessed. But instead of it being a bad thing, you know what? You can actually use it to save people. And they're starting to flip the mold of what it means to be possessed. Now I want you to think about this and ponder this. It is unnatural for an evil spirit to possess you. Did you know that the good angels, the righteous angels in heaven, have never been inside of another human being? Have you ever pondered that? The only thing that you were created for was the possession of the Spirit of God. It is unnatural to be possessed by unholy spirits. But yet, there is an incredible amount of musicians that are coming out into the world now and starting to say, I have multiple personalities. I have all these other demons. They talk to me and I use them. And when I, when I do these music videos, you will see this or this or this entity come out. And they're very vocal about it. So what that tells me is there's something powerful about inviting God to be and reign in the sanctuary of our minds for him to be there. I want to read something to you that comes from the desire of ages that's, that's pretty interesting. In the cleansing of the temple, Jesus was announcing his mission as the Messiah. And entering upon his work, that temple, erected by the abode of the divine presence, was designed to be an object lesson for Israel and for the world. From eternal ages, it was God's purpose that every created being from the bright and holy seraph to man should be the temple of the indwelling creator. Pause. Every single thing that God was creating from this seraph, the angels, down to us, all of them have been designed for the indwelling of God. All of them. I thought about that for a minute. And I said, you know what the devil was actually doing in heaven? I don't want you inside of me, God. I don't want your thoughts. I don't want the way that you think. I want nothing to do with you. I want you out of my life. Listen to this. It was an object lesson because of sin and humanity ceased to be the temple of God. Darkened and defiled by the evil heart, the heart of man no longer revealed the glory of the divine one. Now I thought about this and I said, you know what? Adam and Eve had a divine light around them, right? They were sh shining with the very glory of God. They were glowing, if you would. You think about the story of Moses when he, when he talked face to face with God and he came down and, and the people didn't even want to look at him because he was literally glowing. What was going on? Because inside Adam and Eve was dwelling God. And the second they sinned, guess what happens? Gone. The light of the glow, gone. 
What God is wanting to do is to get us back to that place, to clean out the sanctuary so that he can be dwelling inside of us. By the incarnation of the Son of God, the purpose of heaven is fulfilled. God dwells in humanity and through saving grace of man becomes again into, again into his temple. God designed that the temple at Jerusalem should be a continual witness for the high destiny open to every soul. But the Jews had not understood the significance of the building that they regarded with so much pride. Now, I thought about this for a second. I'm going to ask you a serious question, all of you scholars in the room. When was the last time that we physically saw the Ark of the Covenant? Physically saw it. When? Someone give me. When? You should go look this up. I was fascinated by this. I actually looked it up in, in Mrs. White's writings. Um, it was told from, from um, Josiah and Jeremiah to go and hide it. Do you remember that? And they hid the ark. We haven't seen it since. It has not come back. So I have a question for you. When Jesus was walking around in the sanctuary and they were doing the sanctuary services, what was behind the veil? When they did the Day of Atonement, when they're supposed to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and the priest is going behind the veil, what is he sprinkling it on? Does it make you wonder why God ripped the veil? To show you your house is desolate. There's nothing in there. Wow, that blew my mind. And then I was thinking, you know, what about us? I've made a living off of running around and speaking for 10 years on the media and the movies. And you know what we're doing? We're constantly defiling that sanctuary that God is meant to dwell in. So many thoughts that we have painted on the wall. Like when, uh, when uh, was it Jeremiah that peeked through the wall and saw all the beasts written on the wall of the sanctuary? Right? Wasn't it Jeremiah? Ezekiel, sorry, Ezekiel. Do you remember that story? When he looked through the wall and the inside of the sanctuary, all manners of evil. I want you to think about your life, brothers and sisters. I've studied how the mind works. We're like taking photographs of everything. And in the walls of our sanctuary is there full of evil things. You see, the devil has caused man's thoughts to be darkened. And so I started thinking about why is the Bible always referring to light and darkness and, and has all of these illustrations with light and darkness. And then I started thinking about the first day of creation. And God said, let there be light. All right, I'm done. I'm going on break. Right? I read this story to my kids recently. Sixth day of creation. God got down on his hands and knees and formed out of the dust of the ground every beast that's on the planet. How many beasts are there on this planet? That's quite a few. That would take you quite a while. So what was it about the first day of the week that it's like, I'm going to make light, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take a break. There's something that we don't understand about light. And if you've ever looked into the subject of light, you will be shocked and fascinated. My mind was absolutely blown when I began to kind of like understand. Did you know that we don't even understand how light works? Did you know that? We barely even understand it from the brightest minds that have ever graced our planet. We can hardly understand it. Nikola Tesla said something interesting in an interview. He said, everything is light. The basic building blocks, if you break it down to its smallest, finest particles, literally everything is light. 
And so I started to kind of like do a little bit of digging in this and they've done some tests. They wanted to test how, how light actually operates. And so what they would do is they would use a little particle um, generator and they would shoot particles through a slit in the wall and study it on the back of the wall. That's how they know if it's a particle or if it's a wave. So they're shooting them through. Then they decided to make two slits on the wall. And if they shoot a bunch of particles through it, what would happen? Well, naturally, you would think that if you shot a bunch of particles at two slits in the wall, you would create two slits. Now, I want to share with you what waves actually do. Okay? If you cause a wave and you send it through this slit in the wall, the wave will then reform in a new wave. And the brightest part that's on the back of the screen there in the center is the, the, the most intense part of where the wave hits the wall. This is how they know it's actually a wave. So if they take this same model and they put two slits in there and they send a wave through the, um, the two parts of it, what they will notice is that when the waves interact with each other, the high part of the wave with the high part of the wave will be, make an intense part. The low part of the wave with the low part of the wave will make a, um, a dark spot on the wall. So it's light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. This is how they know that it is actually a wave. So as they started to take a look at what light actually does, they started to shine light through this thing in the particles, and it naturally made a line, as you would probably suspect. So then they decided to put two um, things and shine through it, and all of a sudden it made a wave. And the scientists and the physicists went, wait a minute, that makes absolutely no sense. Because a particle is going to make one line on the back of the wall, and a wave is something totally different. That's like literally going to the beach and saying, I'm going to throw this rock into the air, and the rock is going to act like the wave. The rock is not a wave. It's a, it's a particle. It's a thing. So then the scientists were baffled by this, and they said, what is going on with this? So they decided, aha, they must be interacting with each other. So we're going to shoot them, uh, a bunch of them all together, and we, then we'll test and see why is it making this wave pattern when there's two slits on the back of the wall. So here's what they did. We'll shoot one at a time so that it has no ability to interact with anything else because they thought maybe it's bouncing off of the other particles. And lo and behold, after an hour of this, they shoot it on the back of the wall one at a time and it makes a wave pattern. They're totally confused. Wait a minute. This light particle should not act like that, what they said. So all of a sudden, they decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to observe what's going on because mathematically what's the wave pattern on the back is showing us is that it went through one slit and it went through no slits and it went over the top and it went over the side. Mathematically, it had all these possibilities for it to actually hit the back of the wall. So then they threw an observation tool right next to the little slits because they said, we want to see what's actually going on as the light travels through here. And the second they shot this thing and they started to observe this single particle that they went through, the particle thought about it and then acted like a particle, did not act like a wave. And the scientists are baffled by this going, wait a minute, the second that we take our eyeballs and we look at what happens with the light, all of a sudden, it does something totally different. We don't understand what's going on. It gets stranger 
and stranger and strangers. And these particles are connected together. And sometimes they, they, um, they have these buddy systems um, that basically, uh, if you think of it like a spinning wheel that one is red and blue and red and blue, and there's a lot of red and blue possibilities. If they stop it and observe it, that, that particular one, its complementary one will always be the opposite color. So if they stop it and it's blue, the other one will always be red. So they said, let's separate them. Let's put one hundreds of miles away and let's observe it. They stopped it, they observed it, and always the same thing happened. Instantaneously, the opposite thing happened to the other one. Brothers and sisters, there's something about light that we don't understand. And I want to share this with you, and I wanted to give you a little background of this, because um, think about this. How do you make up color? Red, green, and blue, right? Three colors that you blend together that when you blend them all together, it makes white. And if you send it through a prism, there is the seven colors of the rainbow. Let me know when your spiritual alarm bells are going, ding, 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 this is really neat, right? There are so many parallels to the truths about God. It is really mind-boggling and fascinating to me like when you start to read verses like this in Ezekiel 1:28, And I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. Oh, this is Ezekiel when he sees the vision of, of the throne of God. And I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and it had a brightness round about. And the appearance was as a bow that is in the cloud of the day, uh, uh, in the day of rain, so that the appearance of the brightness round about, and the appearance was like the likeness of the glory of the Lord. You know, when you look at God, he has a rainbow around him. The light that is being shown to you, if we just understand the, the idea of the rainbow, it doesn't, it doesn't shock me that God's sign after the flood was literally a rainbow because it's a description of God. If everything is light and God says on the first day, let there be light. And if it is true that light is generally the building blocks of everything that we know of, and God was creating everything that we know of. Wow, you look around in our world today and you go here a rainbow that was supposed to be the very description of God is used in a prideful manner today. In a way that says, I will do what I want, and I will do it without you. It is a twisting of this beautiful truth that God has given to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7 through 7 says, For God, who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts, to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of, uh, may be of God and not of us. You see, it's beautiful. It's God in us. It's Christ in us that produces that glory, that produces that glow, right? 1 John 5, um, 1, 5 through 7 says, Then this is the message that I heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not have the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, there's so many 
interesting parallels of light in the Bible. You know light is a, like, is a constant, right? You can slow it down, you can bend it, you can block it, but the second that you take that block away, it picks right back up to 186,000 miles a second and just whoom, goes. There's nothing that we have that we know of that actually produces speed like that without some kind of force that's, that's causing it to have that. And yet light will just pick right back up and have that speed. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defiles the temple, God, um, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? No man can himself cast out the evil throng that has taken possession of the heart. Only Christ can cleanse the soul temple. But he will not force an entrance. He comes to, uh, into the heart as the temple of old, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. He will come not for one day merely, he says, I will dwell in them and walk with them, walk in them, and they shall be my people. And he will subdue our iniquities, and thou shalt cast all their sins, in, he shall cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and Micah 7, 19. It's beautiful because it's Christ that's doing this for us. He's the one that is, is knocking on the door of our hearts. Have you invited him in today? Do you invite him in every single day? Because as I look around and I see all the things that our church is, is struggling with or going through and, and, and we're battling things on all sides of the fence and we're looking over, over to the Middle East, what's going on over there. We're looking at all these exterior things, um, even, even Hollywood. Oh, we're looking at what's going on over there. But you know what? The focus is right here. This is the real focus. What's going on inside of your heart? Are you letting Jesus in. Because if that is the Laodicean point that the church is at at the end of time, we are literally needing to invite him in. Romans 6, 8 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we, um, that we also live with him. I pondered this for a, a, a minute and went, what does that mean to actually, how is it that I get a chance to have what, what, what Christ has because he's the one that went through it. So how is that possible for me? Let me ask you a question. My, my sister-in-law worked in a neonatal nurse for a while up in Northern California, and she said it was so difficult when um, babies would, would be born to um, drug-addicted mothers, and they had to hand these babies back to these mothers, knowing the life that they were going to engage in for the rest of their life. Just broke their heart. Time and time again, they had to give these babies to these mothers. And if a mother does drugs, is the baby doing drugs? If the baby, why? Because the baby's inside of the mother, right? Whatever's done to the mother is done to the baby, right? So if you are found in Christ, whatever is done to Christ, in Christ, guess what? It's also done to you. Does that make sense? You are accounted because you are found in him.
Listen to this. This comes from Faith and Works, page 26. The soul is to be sacred, holy, pure, undefiled. There must be a co-partnership in which the power of God and all the glory belongs to God. The responsibility rests with us. We must receive in thoughts and feelings and give in expression the law, in the, um, the law of the human and the divine action makes the receiver a labor together with God. It brings man where he can, united with divinity, work the works of God. Now, if you hear nothing else that I say this morning, I want you to pay close attention to this. This is an interesting statement. The Son of God came to our world in human form to show the, uh, man that divinity and humanity combined does not what? I'm going to let that kind of just sink in for a second. Because if divinity and humanity combined literally does not sin, I want you to think about when you find yourself tripping up and falling, or you find yourself having those thoughts, or you find yourself constantly having to go to God with forgiveness, are you co-laboring with Christ? Have you invited Him in on a daily basis? Did you wake up this morning and invite Him in? I was very pleased when I was standing back there and I heard the prayer that was this, this morning. Um, one of the prayers, I heard the words that said, Jesus, please come into our hearts. It's a simple little subtle thing, but do you daily ask for him to come in every single day? I want you to think about that over the course of the next few weeks. Philipp, uh, Philippians 3.9 says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is the glory of God of faith. For every soul struggling to rise against a life of sin and to a life of purity, the great element of power abides only in the name under heaven, which given among men, whereby we must be saved. You know, it seems like a simple thing. Yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Jesus wants to live in us. But really, I'm, I'm, I'm stressing this point because do you guys really invite him in? all the time. Why is it that the Laodicean church says, you know what, I've got all these things, I'm good, I'm, I'm a Christian. I see that in terms of my own self going, you know what, I preach, I go to churches, I, I, I engage in video ministry activities, I'm constantly around it. But do you know that I'm even in danger of not inviting Jesus in every single day? When you do, you will start to see that power that is given to Christ, you will start to see being in your life. Apart from the divine power, no genuine reform can be elected. Human barriers against the natural and cultivated tendencies are but a sandbank against the torrent. Not until the life of Christ becomes a vitalizing power in our lives can we resist the temptations that assail us from within and from without. When one surrenders to Christ, the mind is brought under the control of the law, but it is the royal law which proclaims liberty to every captive. By becoming one with Christ, man is made free. You hear it over and over and over again. In John 14, 10 through 11, 
You hear the language that Jesus is, is saying, don't you believe in me and that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And the words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works for the, in themselves. You know, Jesus, some of his last recorded words in John, I want to read to you, um, it, it comes from John 17. Some of the last recorded words that, John, uh, that Jesus says right before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he starts making a prayer for the people. John 17, verse 21, this is Jesus' prayer for you and I. And I want you to take this to heart today and think about this throughout this next week. As we are ending January and getting into February, you know, most people don't make it past January in their New Year's resolutions. In fact, they have a national ditch your New Year's resolution day in the third week in January. Did you know that? There's a day that everybody says, ah, well, didn't work. Oh, well, moving on. I want to challenge you guys. I want to challenge you. Take these words to heart over the course of this next week, month, year. Listen to what Jesus says, starting with verse 21. That they may be one as you uh, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also might be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, and they may be uh, made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have, lo and have loved them, as you have loved me. You know, do you love your brothers and sisters? Do you have an outpouring love for those who have wronged you? Because I know that Jesus loves them. And I know that Jesus is calling them. And he's reaching out to them. And you know what? If you have Jesus in you, you're going to feel that love for those people as well. Are we the people that literally outsiders say, you know what? They are special. They are kind of weird. But you know what? They're so loving and they're so kind. And I feel, I feel this draw to, to be around them. Do people say that about you? Are people naturally going behind your back and saying, that is the most kind person I have met. Because you know what? My, my God and my Savior is that kind person. And if he's inside of us, other people will feel that as well. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, it is our solemn prayer. We have these earthen vessels, these sanctuaries that many of us have spent filling with all manners of, of, of terrible things in the world. Some of us have thought that we have completely rooted out and cleaned it out, um, but Lord, we know that you are the only one that can cleanse these sanctuaries. We want to prepare our hearts and our minds for you to dwell inside of us 
so that we can be the reflectors of your glory, Lord, so that when this world enters into its darkest time and its, its moment where things just become unraveled, Lord, like Mrs. White wrote in, in the final events, the final people, their faces glow with your glory, so much so that those around them couldn't even look upon them because of how shiny they were. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room that that is their desire and help us, Lord, to glow your glory for the rest of the world. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.